It is my privilege to introduce to you my good friend and brother in Christ, former colleague, and in many ways still present colleague, uh, Reverend, <laughs> Reverend Elias Mutali. And so we're so glad his wife Sheena is here as well. Um, I'm going to try to keep the introduction brief, and you fill in any gaps that I miss that you would like them to know. But I know Sheena and Elias have four beautiful young adult daughters. Uh, they, as uh, Elias and Sheena, came to Canada in 1988, I believe, with three daughters when you arrived. Um, Elias uh, pastored here in the valley for eight years and then down at Victoria Road Baptist Church in uh, Dartmouth for, I believe, five years. Uh, Served as a regional minister for the African United Baptist Association for ten years and now serves as a church leaders networker and consultant with SIM both here in uh, Canada as well as in Zambia, splitting his time between those two areas. Zambia, which is their home country, I probably said, is... uh, located in kind of south-central Africa. Um, And, yeah, I think that's probably the gist of what I want to say, just that I've appreciated Elias's heart, his uh, passion for the kingdom, for leadership, and uh, seeing the church go ahead, both here in Canada, back in his home country of, of Zambia, but truly around the world as well. So welcome, Elias. We're so glad you're here. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Lionel. Thank you, Jane. And thank you, everyone. Great pleasure to be back. I think it's two years ago since I had the opportunity to preach before I went into that uh, illness-induced exile. And very glad to be getting out of that. Uh, Doing quite well, still dealing with some minor issues. And I must have been anxious about today because yesterday developed a headache stronger than I've been having which stayed to today, but uh, I'm still able to function. That's good. My voice will sound a little different because I have gadgets in my mouth now. I have wires there, and eventually they will get out. But I hope you can, you can hear me. We're delighted to be here. Um, we, we have been to this school since the 80s. Um, I think Glenn might be the only one who's been around. <laughs> So thank you, Glenn. You make me feel good. (laughs) Together we can welcome everybody else. It's a real joy. I think during the MDiv days, um, Anna, was that the time we were together? Was that MDiv days or was I doing BTH? Uh, A little bit later, I was 90s. 90s, okay. All right. So very glad. And she went to England and met the pastor who was our pastor when we were leaving Zambia to come to Canada. It's a very small world, and uh, we give thanks to God for what he's doing worldwide. Although it's February, today you're not getting an African Heritage Month, so Jennifer, you have to get me back for that. Um, So Living Legacy sounded very attractive, and so I want to share today under the title, In Touch with God, In Touch with God. And I bring you greetings from the Serving and Mission Agency. I do not have time to tell you a lot about this great mission, and uh, perhaps on another occasion I might have that opportunity to share about this wonderful mission agency that uh, 
is seeking to bring 100 plus years of experience back to the Canadian and North American setting as the new wing of the ministry in culture connections is seeking to help churches reach out to the numerous newcomers who are all over our shores. For 100 years, they went all over the world to minister there and then 20, 30 years ago discovered the world is here and our churches need some help. And so they said, we will use our experience gathered worldwide to help our churches and I'm just delighted to be part of that ministry. For today, let's continue with the theme of living legacy because I think that's what we are about as people of God and especially for all of us who seek to minister in the name of Christ. And that should be all of us in addition to those of us who are in the ministry for vocation because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. We want to encourage all those who worship in the places where we minister to learn to pass on the living legacy of Jesus. Our students here, those of you who are students, are learning a lot of things like biblical languages, systematic theology, church history, the practice of ministry, to name a few. And all of these lessons are designed to enable us, each one, to pass on to our hearers the living legacy. Let me illustrate. The great Epimaeus, a contemporary of C.H. Spurgeon, tells of a man who went to a morning service and heard a great preacher preach. And the man said after the service, that was a wonderful message. The same man went in the evening to hear the great C.H. Spurgeon and made quite a different proclamation after the service. What a wonderful Christ, the man said. Both were important acknowledgments of what he had experienced. But in the morning, he enjoyed a wonderful message. And in the evening, he encountered a wonderful Christ. As we seek to pass on the living legacy, we will need to find a way to elevate those who hear what we proclaim, or for us to elevate what we proclaim so that our hearers will go beyond the point of commending the beautiful messages that we preach to experiencing the wonderful Christ. That will allow us all to facilitate the experience of God for those who hear us. And that, of course, is our point. We are the new John the Baptists of our time, paving the way for the Messiah to show himself to the world. Then we can stand like John did and say, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. In order to achieve that, we will need to be people searching for the heart of God, so that it can be said of us, as it was said of David, that I have found a man after my own heart who will do my will. May it be that the studies we undertake, the work we do, the fellowship we share, that will put us in that position of being a prime seekers after the heart of God. Can that be you? Can that be me? Preachers like us are just ordinary people willing to serve the Lord. There are lots of examples of such ordinary people in the Bible who learned the art of seeking the presence of God. So it is said of Enoch in Genesis chapter 5 that Enoch, say it loud, you got it. He walked with God. What a beautiful description. What about Abraham? He was described to us as God's friend. Moses, 
described as a very humble man. Him and John the Baptist compete in scripture for the humblest man. And then there was Mary, the most blessed of all women. And last but not least on my list was Jacob. And it is said of Jacob in Genesis 32 that he wrestled with God. He did not want to let go. He enjoyed the encounter so much. He wanted to keep that experience with him. So he wrestled till daybreak. I will not let you go until you bless me. These are examples of people like David who sought after the heart of God. And we want to join their ranks so that we can contribute to the living legacy of Christ. Let me leave three or four things that will help us to achieve that. I think the first thing I want to suggest is that to succeed, we will need to live in the presence of God. As we search for the heart of God, we will need to learn to live in the presence of God. Easier said than done. In Numbers chapter 9, 15 to 21, we read the story of the, the cloud over the tabernacle. And the Bible says that on the, on the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant, was set up, the cloud covered it. And from evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. So during the day it looked like a cloud, at night it looked like fire. The behavior of that cloud contained the instructions for Israel. When the cloud started to move, it was time for Israel to set out and get moving. It didn't matter whether they had settled the night before. If the next day the cloud began to move, they had to move. How would we handle that kind of mobility in our institutionalized way of doing what we do? Sometimes the cloud stayed a long time. They had to stay put. The interesting thing is this. Here in Numbers... The pillar of cloud and fire indicated the presence of God. So the way for them to find the cloud and be under the cloud was to enter the tabernacle. This, I think, is the beginning of where the concept of finding God in the sanctuary comes from. It might originate in other places as well. That plus all the emphasis of the temple in the Old Testament reminds us of how big it was to enter the tabernacle, to go into the house of worship. The challenge for us was well defined by the late Adrian Rogers when he said this. The way it was then, God had a temple for his people. And he says, but the way it is now in the New Testament, God has a people for his temple. And keeping 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And that is why spiritual formation has become the emphasis of Christian spirituality in the last two decades. You could stretch it to uh, three decades, but much more so in the last two decades. Uh, we found out that we could train people to write excellent sermons, and people would say, that was a wonderful message. But that did not make them great servants of God. We could turn out students who are excelling in church history essays. I did that. Back in the day too. John Ferguson and I were tied for the church history uh, prize at that time. And, um, but that didn't necessarily make us able to lead others in the presence of God. So more recently theological schools have included spiritual life and spiritual formation courses in the curriculum. Rightly so, if not belatedly so. So every Christian has those things that help, to fo help us to focus on God and tune in on Him.
Those are important things. Each one of us needs to find what those are, what those elements are. And uh, if you want to strengthen and embed that ability to tune in into the presence of God, you need to find those elements. Uh, for many it is the word of God. For many it is the worship time. It can also be fellowship with these people. The reading of Christian books. Meditation. Nature walks. Appreciation of God's power in creation of one sort or another. Or the beauty of a starlit night. Many, many ways to tune in to the great creator. Each one of us needs to find what the old divines called the means of grace. What is it that brings us into the encounter with God that helps us to experience God. And those channels are important to understand for ourselves. That is what will help each one of us to live in the presence of God. Then we'll have capacity to be the temple of God. Whatever that channel is, however, it needs to be anchored in both the word of God and prayer. Those are the primary means of grace. But we recognize that there's more that helps people tune in into the presence of God. But the old Sunday school song got it right when it said, Read the Bible and pray every day and you will grow. Somebody said, if you just read the Bible and never pray, you will dry up. Another one said, if you just pray and never read the word, you will blow up. <laughs> but if you read and pray, you will grow up. And we all want to grow up. So you could say then that uh, the word of God and prayer are primary tests for the ability to abide in the presence of God. We go wrong here, people of God, at our own peril and that of the ministry. The opportunity is this, that when we find this channel... We are going to be in a position to be John the Baptist in our time. So how can we assess that? We are encouraging one another to live in the presence of God. Now how can we assess that so that we can get some sense of whether we are on track or not? Every human product requires a quality control uh, method. So a factory producing food or cars has a quality control unit there. Those are the people who make sure that the product conforms to established standards. But the number of recalls on food and cars suggests that the quality control methods aren't working very well. In the same way, the human products require quality control, so does our spiritual life and service. Every spiritual endeavor needs quality control. The absence of that can be catastrophic on the church. So people spend a lifetime in church without knowing God. Many who claim to walk with God live without the power of God and stay enslaved to all manner of sin. We need to be able to assess the reality of our walk with God. And I want to suggest a simple tool, a borrowing from the medical institution's use of the thermometer. James chapter 5 verses 13 to 16 says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praises. And if anyone is sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. The three things, they are covering the entire spectrum of life, help us understand this spiritual thermometer. It says that when things are going well, we still should be in touch with God doing what? Praising Him. And when things aren't going so well, we should still be in touch with God doing what? 
praying about it. And when we are not well and are dealing with illness, what should we be doing? Making sure we're getting prayer offered for all of us. So whether in joy or in pain, we need to be in the presence of God. And those three areas, you could say, cover the entire spectrum of life. Now you know and I know that we do this to varying degrees. Sometimes when we're in real trouble, we pray harder. And when things kind of resolve, we tend to pray less. Or it could be the opposite. Sometimes when things are really good, we're on a high, constantly praising God. And when we're on the downside, it's not so easy to pray. But the challenge of James 5 is that irrespective of the state of the circumstances, we need to be steadfastly holding on to God. And that is a simple way to gauge the reality of the experience of God in our lives. The other thing that we must do to help us focus on God is to get rid of the golden cows. There is a sense in which all of humanity live in golden calf country. The whole world in general, and I think the western world in particular, have built all kinds of idols which occupy our time and resources in a way that can deprive God of the means to do His work. So it's easy for people to spend hundreds of dollars, if not thousands, on Christmas shopping. But these dear people of God will not give an equivalent offering into the Christmas plate. It is easy for couples and families to spend equally huge amounts on holidays and cruises, but not on the offerings for the work of God. I was joking about this, that I had not heard about cruises until we went to Dartmouth. And I remember Lionel preaching about that too. Challenging the people of God to give. You won't give, but you go on cruises. Well, in the Annapolis Valley, when we pastored here, there, here, we didn't hear about cruises. We heard about Florida and the cottages. <laughs> I met a man at a convention assembly one year, and this was his lament. Pastor, I don't know when we're going to do God's work in this country. In the winter, we're in Florida, and in the summer, we're at the cottage. <laughs> You can, go to, you can go to Florida. And that's, that's, don't forget to minister there while you are enjoying the beautiful sunshine. But those things, if they are unchecked, will allow us and the church to go astray. And I want to share with you a story that my wife passed on to me one morning as we were in devotions. And she said, have you read this? I said, no. Here is what it says. And as you hear it, think of it in terms of the song, It's Me, O Lord. Don't think of somebody else. Don't think of another church. Think of yourself and your church. A number of years ago, I had the privilege of teaching at a school of ministry. My students were hungry for God, and I was constantly searching for ways to challenge them to fall more in love with Jesus and to become voices for revival in the church. I came across a quote attributed most often to Reverend Sam Pascoe. It is a short version of the history of Christianity and it goes like this. Christianity started in Palestine as a fellowship. It moved to Greece and became a philosophy. It moved to Italy and became an institution. Moved to Europe and became a culture. It came to America and became an enterprise. Some of the students were very young. 
Some barely out of diapers and I wanted them to understand and appreciate the import of the last line. So I clarified it by adding an enterprise is a business. After a few moments, Martha, the youngest student in the class, raised her hand and I could not imagine what her question might be. I thought the little vignette was self-explanatory and that I had performed it brilliantly. Nevertheless, I acknowledged Martha's raised hand. She asked such a simple question. A business, she said. But isn't the church supposed to be a body? What happens to a body when it becomes a business? Isn't that a prostitute? <laughs> Think about it. I read this and I said to Shina, no wonder the Bible so often talks about halotry on the part of the people of God. The room went dead. The quote continues. For several seconds, no one moved or spoke. We were all stunned, afraid to make a sound because the presence of God had flooded into the room and we knew we were on holy ground. All I could think in those sacred moments was, wow, I wish I'd thought of that. I didn't dare express that thought aloud. God had taken over the class and Martha's question changed my life. For six months, I thought about her question at least once every day. When a body becomes a business, isn't that a prostitute? Yes, tragically, the American church is heavily populated by people who do not love God. How can we love him? We don't even know him. And I mean really know him. End of quote. It's no surprise that the church and many in it have strayed far away from God. And we need to help People all over the world get back to holy ground. It's happening in Canada, it's happening in Zambia. And we can do so by turning our eyes on Jesus. So the situation is not helpless. Hebrews 12, 1-3 Turn your eyes upon Jesus. This is the practice of learning to gaze upon Jesus. Learning to focus and admiring Him. Meditating on Jesus to understand not only who He is but how He has been working. And assisting people of all types, the good, the bad, and the ugly, he was there for everyone. And the practice of appreciating him will warm up our hearts to him and his way. And when we get a grip on how Jesus loved and cared for people, we will catch the fire that he wants us to catch. Then everything we do will be for God. And we will reorganize the use of our resources to fulfill the work of God. The story of Mother Teresa is a good one to conclude this message with. As her work was beginning to become a major phenomenon, and the Western press started to converge on India to find Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa refused to consent to interviews, at least in the early years. Finally, a priest came to her making this appeal. Mother, just come out and tell them why you do what you do, he pleaded. And Mother Teresa looked at the priest and gave this reply. Go tell them, Father. Go tell them we do it for Jesus. Go tell them, Father. Go tell them we do it for Jesus. That is why she had embarked on the impossible task of caring for the poor in India. People say to her, there are millions of people on the streets in India. Why do you waste your time? You will never succeed to take care of all of them. People constantly suggested. Her calm reply was always, we know we cannot take care of all the poor. But we pick them up one at a time and show them the love of God. And the best of all is this, we do it for Jesus. By the time she died, she had taken care of over 40,000 people. She is an example of a person after the heart of God. We do it for Jesus. So like Mother Teresa, 
Let's catch the fire of Jesus. And we will if we turn our eyes on Jesus. And look in his wonderful face. So that the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Amen. Let's pray together. Our precious Lord, we thank you for coming into our lives and into our world. We appreciate so much reaching out to touch our lives. And we pray that you will assist each one of us to grow in that ability to encounter you. So that we may experience you in a life-giving way. So that each one of us will be able to contribute to the living legacy of Christ. And when we have long gone, those who come behind us will find us faithful. Grant it, we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.